So much peeing. I also... Oh, Paul went... Also to leave... I like when we do movies that don't have sequels. We don't do that a ton, but it's interesting. You gotta do your unemployment. I know. So, so you could like get it started and I can do yoga, but then I think you need my help sooner well, than can, it would take me to do yoga. I can read Animorphs. You can always like start it and um, you can save it as a draft. I think we all agreed on Animorphs. Yeah? Yes. All right. Continuing completed classics. Fulfilling failed franchises. Reinvigorating reviled rehashes. It's the follow-up showdown with Paul Gitz, Travis McMaster, and Lauren Accordi. Hiya uppers and hey downers. Welcome back to the follow-up showdown to Nerds in Quarantine, where we continue to give worthy second chapters to stories that don't have them. I am your host, Paul Getz, and with me are Travis McMaster and la 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 Lauren Picorni. How are you guys? Much better after hearing that. And this is not a musical episode. I just had that bit in my mind and I didn't want to lose it. If this is the first time you're joining us, the way it works is we take a movie with either no sequel or a sequel that falls one time blob short of a decent arc and take our individual turns trying to come up with a better one. Today, the movie we'll be focusing on is S. Darko, the 2009 straight-to-video sequel to the 2001 independent cult classic Donnie Darko. Lauren, I believe this was your suggestion? Yeah! Uh, Donnie Darko is just a really good, you know, nice spooky Halloween movie. It takes place in October. I did find it interesting that while Donnie Darko is a Halloween movie, S. Darko was a 4th of July movie. The world's gotta end on a holiday, guys. (laughs) I love that sort of Nightmare Before Christmas idea that, like, well, it's a Dark, some producer with a cigar. It's a Darko movie, so get your calendars out. I don't know that there were any cigar-chomping producers involved in in that (laughs) sequel, but uh, before we get uh, too far into talking about it, it is time for two Travis McMaster minutes. Two Travis McMaster minutes! Um, Are you ready uh, as ever, as ever, I will be. All right. So Donnie Darko takes place in Middlesex, Virginia in 1988. Uh, Donnie Darko is a very bright but somewhat troubled young student in high school. Uh, he has sleepwalking uh, problems, I guess. A mysterious airplane engine falls through his roof onto his bed where he would have been had he not been out. Setting into motion a series of events that include discovering a motivational speaker as a pedophile, um, his girlfriend being run over by a car, and the perhaps discovery of time travel through force of will. Um, in, and um, he collects a couple of mentors, a teacher at school who is sort of bound by the laws of what he is and is not allowed to discuss with students, um, and Roberta Sparrow, the 
perhaps the, the local eccentric and perhaps inventor or discoverer of the philosophy of time travel. Uh, and then he ultimately has to somehow sacrifice himself by letting the airplane engine fall in, on him in the past to set right what once went wrong, hoping that each leap would be his leap home. <laughs> so S. Darko takes place in 1995. His youngest sister, not Maggie, she wouldn't come back, has grown up a little bit also disturbed and is now starring in a Levi's commercial from 2010. Fresh off the wheels of Coachella or perhaps that Aerosmith music video Crazy, she and her smoky-voiced friends break down in a small town where a sexy teenager offers to help her. Um, then she pulls a feather out of the TV. Instead of Frank the Bunny, she sees herself in a really pretty dress um, in her dreams, guiding her towards something. Um, there's a, a, a traumatized, I think, war vet from One Tree Hill floating around the town. Uh, some people get murdered. Um, she dies in a car crash halfway through the movie and her smoky voice friend takes over and then time travel, time travel, time travel. She sets right. right well, what I, that's, <laughs> I gave you an extra 30 seconds too. I mean, I didn't, you know, that's a tough one. I didn't envy you that challenge. S. Darko, there's too much going on in it. They, they didn't pick any kind of lane. And Donnie Darko's, I mean, it's its not necessarily straightforward, but it is pretty simple it, when you break it down into a story. So it felt like Donnie Darko follows a thread that you can either follow follow or get behind as a theory, whereas S. Darko just tried to do a bunch of references of Donnie Darko without grasping what they were going for. Yeah. Like, they didn't really understand, like, the chest spears. I don't think they understand what the time travel aspect is. Yeah, I mean, before we get too far into talking about the specifics of S. Darko, I'm trying to think what was maybe worth mentioning. There is a child murderer in S. Darko. Right, is that a team of them? Is that what happened? I mean, I think it's the that the preacher and his and and the Jesse from Saved by the Bell were taking kids just to trap them in a, a mine. And let okay, them starve to death. I thought it was just the preacher. Was she in on it too? I thought it was just the girl. I think it was both. I will say, like they established early on in S. Darko that there is a perv somewhere in town, and one yeah. of the more fun—I say in quotes—fun things I had to do in S. Darko was go, okay, who's the perv? Could be that guy. Could be that guy. Could be that guy. Could be that guy. Everyone who showed up, like, just looked yeah. like pieces of shit. I'm like, yeah. all these people are like assholes, man. Uh, um, except for the, the waitress. Oh, she was yeah. great. And I think I guess I didn't reveal. I didn't pick up. That there was like a, a murder mystery happening in the background. Separately from that, there are meteorites that are actually tesseracts that are changing one of the perv candidates into an evil person with a horrible, horrible rash. rash. Yeah. yeah. See, I kind of disagree with what y'all were saying. I feel like the director, um, mm -hmm. whatever he got out of Donnie Darko is something that it's very different than I got out of Donnie Darko. Cause S Darko felt very cohesive to me and it did feel very well made. I feel like S Darko did exactly what it was trying to do. I was just not overly interested in what it was trying to do. It didn't speak to me. Yeah, I mean, I would agree that it is well-made and it's well-acted. I would say the worst actor in it is probably S. Darko herself, which she's maybe just young. 
you know, at that point. Well, um, again, it felt like that she was doing what the, the whole movie wanted that character to be doing. Yeah, which was, I guess, not having right. emotion, really. Um, Ice Queen. I guess I would just say that it was probably, it was trying to do too much. I understand that Donnie Darko has a lot of like layers to it and things to read into and weird things, visuals happening, but I feel like they're all connected to one overarching story, whereas this was about six. Uh, yeah. Okay. So we'll, sorry, we'll, we'll circle back to S. Darko we'll get, in a bit. We'll get but yeah. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about Donnie Darko. Uh, my experience seeing it for the first time, I was in high school for sure. It was like that. I remember that and Fight Club being the two movies that everybody was talking about as like, you have to see it. It's transformative. Whatever you think it's about, that's not what it's about. You know, like it was like almost like a challenge pose to see this movie and, and get it. I hadn't seen it since high school before until this viewing, which I loved, oh. loved it again. Loved it. I loved it yeah, more than that. I ever thought I did. But I remember in high school just sort of having an attitude of like, I get it. I saw it. <laughs> get it. No problem. <laughs> I don't get it. Unless, I, I feel com- comfortable watching it now that I get it enough to make myself content with it. Yeah. But at the same time, I appreciate it's openness to interpretation. I had a similar experience too. I saw it for the first time in college mm-hmm. and then I didn't watch it for a while and I watched it again, I think maybe like two years ago. Then I it rang a little more pretentious than I remembered, but then this time I watched it and it did not do that. So I think I was just in a mood. I do see what you're talking about. There were a couple times when they got into a little bit of dialogue that just sort of pointed out to me. It's like, okay, this is a young director. You know, he's doing some things that aren't necessarily ideal artistic choices. However, for the most part, I would say almost all of them are justified by the end of the movie. Like, yeah, uh, a lot of Donnie's uh, speeches connect to something else. There's so much interconnectivity in this movie that by the end of it, just sort of replaying it again in your head is really, really fun. And sort of seeing all the connections that you didn't know were going to be there or didn't remember were there. One of my very favorites of those is um, the speech that he makes when he's yelling at, oh, I'm forgetting her character's name. The, the, the woman who's played a menacing mother since her birth. <laughs> Sparkle motion. Uh, oh, yeah. Miss Farmer. I don't know yeah. her actress name. Which Good. I should. She's in so much. And she's so yeah. fantastic. Yeah, she does always play that same kind of role, though. When he's yelling at her uh, because she's trying to get him to place the X on the line between love and fear, and he's saying you can't lump everything into two categories, the world is more complex than that. What I really love is that in the end, when he completes the timeline and effectively saves his mother, sister, and girlfriend from dying, uh, those are like the easy connections to make that he did something good. And then they give you that sequence at the end of showing everyone that he was connected to. And it's the pedophile is no longer in jail and Mrs. Farmer is still following his lead. So there is also darkness related to the fact that he's no longer there. And that goes back to proving his point that you can't just have it all good or all bad. Yeah. Mm. Everything is a more complex issue than that, which I thought was awesome. Yeah. Beth Grant. Beth Green. That's that actress name. What a forgettable name. I feel like I will forget that name again. But right, but, but we all remember Will Smith's name. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if she released an album called Big Bethy Style, we would uh, <laughs> we'd be able to latch on to it a little bit more. When it was presented to me in high school, it was just already a thing. 
people knew about Donnie Darko. This is a movie that you watch. I never knew sort of where it came from or what its past was. It premiered at Sundance. It was distributed by Drew Barrymore's production company in an agreement that she would get to play Mrs. Pom- Miss Pomeroy, which I have thoughts about that in a minute. Because of her, uh, the, the movie was released in theaters uh, and not straight to video or on straight to stars, which is where it was more than likely going to end up before that happened. But then the original advertising material for the movie featured a plane crash and it was released right around 9-11. So they pulled all the advertisements for it. So it effectively had none and uh, greatly underperformed at the box office and then sort of built its cult status um, over time, I guess. But I don't know that I know that many movies that have done something like that so effectively on video. In addition to that, it did apparently do a lot of cool sort of underground advertising uh, online. It was uh, one of these first movies to sort of build a website that was sort of based uh, in the universe of the movie, kind of like The Matrix. Okay. And I, I have not been able to look at that website because it's old. And like the flash player is disabled and I can't look at it. But supposedly that website is full of puzzles and secrets and contains information about fates of many of the characters after the film ends that are like sanctioned by the filmmaker. So I do want to find it and look at it. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Yeah. You just got to get a really old computer to look at it on. I know that they call them chess spears in the movies and they never say this otherwise, but the director calls them time blobs, which is where I got that term. Yeah. And apparently... He got that idea, the writer and director, Richard Kelly, in case anybody doesn't know, this is like 100% his baby. He got the idea from watching football and seeing them use a, you know, like how they do when they draw on the screen. So John yeah. John Madden was doing that with like, here's where he's he, like on an instant replay. They paused the instant replay and said, here's where he's going to go. This is what he's going to do. And then they played it and watched him follow that line. And that's where uh, the director got the idea for the chess spears. I'm not trying super hard to be funny when I say I would not have guessed that Richard Kelly got any of his ideas for Donnie Darko from football. Uh, So some actor's notes I have on the movie. Um, Vince Vaughn was the first person approached to play Donnie. uh, And he himself believed he was too old for the part. So good on you, Vince. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal was was 20, 20 when he filmed this. And even he looked a little old. Um, Mark Wahlberg was also approached, but insisted. He was, he instantly started yelling and barking at the man who approached him. (laughs) It's actually kind of similar to that. He apparently insisted that the character have a lisp. Richard Kelly hated that. And so said, no, not you, I guess. (laughs) Um, Well, it dodged. And then, uh, Jason Schwartzman was also, I think offered the role, but he was making another movie at the time. Would it have been Rushmore? No, that would have been the year before. Yeah, I mean, maybe That's it was uh, Slackers. He 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 really felt the need uh, to bring that one home. Listen, as far as what the paycheck would have been for Slackers versus Donnie Darko, oh, fair. I can't fault Jason for That's true. making that choice. I do know Mary McDonnell was paid scale for this, but she was so excited to do it that she got a speeding ticket on her first, on her way to the first day of set. She couldn't wait to get there. That's adorable. I love her so much. My goodness, yes. I mean, always have, always will. She's never anything less than spectacular. Consistent in this movie. I did want to bring up 
her husband in the movie, Holmes Osborne, whose name I never knew before this rewatch. I love that guy. He's also the dad in that thing you do. That's the first thing I ever associate him with. And he's just the perfect dad. He is just mm. the perfect, goofy, definitely conservative dad. He's got a lot of character. Like, I love yeah. the scene um, where he's talking about Roberta Sparrow, and he just, like, has his his hand, like, sort of, it's oddly placed on his face, but it's it, it looks so comfortable, and it's, like, a character choice, and it works. All the laughing he does at inappropriate moments, and, I mean, he's just... Yeah. From the beginning, he brings just sort of the universe home. And I would definitely call that a huge part of the difference between Donnie Darko and S. Darko, where Donnie Darko really puts you in this familiar universe that you understand and know and can laugh at all the way through. And S. Darko mm-hmm. is just like, here's this weird town, uh, Stephen, Stephen King types, uh, no one really to hold on to, and no jokes! I know we're not there yet, yeah. but my biggest problem with S. Darko was there was no character I wanted to cut to. No matter who we cut to, I was just not interested no in watching. Yeah. Whereas in Donnie Darko, I'll watch literally anyone. I'll watch yeah. Beth Grant for two hours. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And everybody's arc was super, super full. Also considered, or I don't know if he was offered, but uh, to play Eddie Darko, the dad, Tim Robbins. I'm sure that would have been cool. Oh, fabulous. Yeah. Samantha Darko, S. Darko, was offered originally to Mara Wilson from Mrs. Doubtfire and Matilda, but she passed because she didn't understand the script. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, supposedly a lot of people didn't. Uh, according to Seth Rogen, he and Jake Gyllenhaal admitted to each other at the rap party that they n- had no idea what the movie was about. It's tricky. Yeah. Going way back to your two Met Travis McMaster minutes... Um, we don't have to go back. Only because I think you did an excellent job with Donnie Darko. The only aspect I was surprised to hear left out was Frank the Rabbit. Absolutely I, yeah. left him out. I am. Yeah. I, I have no excuse. <laughs> I have nothing. You even said that Donnie, like, slip, 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 uh, yeah. and was lured away. You don't <laughs> understand the pressure of a McMaster minute. <laughs> but yes, Frank, uh, Frank the Rabbit, you know, he's probably the most famous uh, Donnie Darko image. Frank's so great because that really shouldn't work Hmm. that should really break shatter something for me the movie should stop working for me where i go okay this is even for high school this is a bit much but for some reason it all works i mean i think it works from the beginning regardless because you're just fascinated by what frank is and what is happening but in the end when the reveal is that he it is a costume designed by a young guy by a kid that they go to high mm-hmm. school with and that guy just has sort of an artistic flair that's super cool and that super super mm-hmm. works and was maybe the most upsetting thing in S Darko was that they just put a rabbit in there with no motivation for it whatsoever as if rabbits are synonymous with time travel or prophecy or something and really it has nothing to do with that the rabbit it was specifically it was, yeah. a frank made out like, of a bit of he did it off of a sketch he found in samantha's book but that's just what i'm talking about that movie just putting in references without oh. understanding why they were in the first movie in the first well, and place huge plot hole that drove me crazy as soon as i saw the book in s darko she wouldn't have the book because if donnie is killed by the turbine, then he doesn't get the book from Professor Monotov, and there's no way well, for it to get to her. Well, well hang on. It was Are, a new well, book. It could on. be that... Are we know. arguing that because Donnie didn't have a book, 
that book doesn't exist, and there's no way Samantha could find but that book. It, the book that the version of the, but the version of the book that she has in Estorco is supposedly drawn in by Donnie. That is what. Wait, but right, do we? Right. Wait, do we? Oh, so the so that version of the book she has has Donnie's right, and drawing. And we yes. see him get the book in Donnie's Arco. Okay, withdrawn. Yeah. I would like to withdraw my um, defense. Here's a one more question on Frank. Um, did Paul? Did you understand that? Frank and Elizabeth, Maggie Gyllenhaal's character, were dating? I did not. I still, I, until you just told me just now, I did not. I knew that she knew him. That's crazy. Because there was a moment, yeah. because there was the moment where she said Frank went to get beer before you see the note that Frank went to get beer. Yeah. So I didn't know that they were dating, no. Yeah, that's so crazy to me because, like, I, I brought it up and, like, Travis is like, well, why do you know that? And I just had a moment where I was just like, huh, I guess I can't prove it, but, like, Whenever she, like, comes in the, the house, like, you know, like, she's like seems to be, like, a little bit like, ooh, I'm in love. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Then in the beginning of the movie, whenever Donnie is biking back home, you see Frank's car going the opposite I, direction, I assume, going from seeing... I didn't know that, but that makes sense. I mean, there, I mean, I knew they was going, yeah. but I, I didn't... I never connected those dots. That's really awesome, because, like, that is another subplot... In addition to so many that are there for you to find, but not made apparent. For example, the the guy that Diner refers to as the fat guy who's watching them. Oh yeah, um, he's supposedly an FBI agent sent to keep an eye on the Darkos after the plane accident. The oh, director really? said that, that one. And yeah. uh, there's a woman who's in the credits, just mysterious woman. It's not the talent show. She's, she's there when Jim Cunningham is giving this sort of conference where Donnie speaks out on the microphone at school. She's yeah. there, like, taking notes, and supposedly she is a scout from Star Search. So she's connected to the Sparkle Motion subplot, but it's not something that they ever point out. It's just something that the director's like, yep, that's who she is, in case you ever wondered. All kinds of like layers and layers and stuff like that. That's just fun. None of it seems silly. None of it seems heavy-handed. It's just a lot of cool ideas. Yeah, man. Yeah, I loved this movie. The more I talk about it, the more the more I just loved it. I can't believe I ever had an attitude about it. One yeah. thing I wanted to bring up that I thought was super cool, just because of the implications, the note left by Frank on the fridge that says Frank went to get beer in his handwriting, in theory, the same handwriting as the spray paint at, on the ground after Donnie bursts the pipe and floods the school. So the implication there is that Frank was somehow present and involved, even though when we find out who Frank is in the end, he's unaware of the importance he plays in Donnie's decision-making and art. Or then the question becomes, is he? Is he the dreamer or the dream? So, yes, what uh, I, I, you know, I know we haven't gotten into uh, pitches yet, but I thought a fun, not prequel, not sequel, but parallelical for this movie would be like a short film called Frank Anderson, in which we see his perspective on the whole situation. Because probably he's not going to be mm -hmm. as aware or as following the thread as Donnie, but there's probably yeah. more to that story. One theory could be, like, perhaps Frank possesses Donnie, and that's why the, the handwriting is, is his. Ah. That's just sleepwalking it. Yeah. Like, he's, like, literally, like, he's possessing him. He's, like, wake up, and he's yeah. you know, making him go. Right. But 
Hmm. He, Frank, the person, is he aware of that at all? Or is he having visions or is he having, is he experiencing sensations? Because, and I will say, I know that the director's sort of goal with S. Darko was to, instead of telling the story from the perspective of the receiver, which is what Donnie is considered in terms of the timeline, uh, he's doing it from the perspective of the manipulated dead, which I guess is S. Darko. And she does not seem aware of any of the visions she's projecting. She is not following any sort of thread the whole movie. She is appearing to the receiver, who I suppose is Iraq Jack, but she is not herself affecting any of the change or, or the decision-making. Yeah. So you could argue that it's not from her perspective at all, yeah. but just a thing you said after you made a movie the other way. That's the thing in that movie, like, whose perspective is it? That, like, shimmer, touchable wall, intangible thing does not represent a link between you and the dead. I Does, think that it's sort of... It? I don't think so. What is it? I don't know. <laughs> I, I assume it's it's, between, it's it's the wall between worlds, between universes. Which, like, okay, I guess you could argue that means the dead. No, I, was um, anyway, I didn't like the movie. Yeah, no. <laughs> okay, well, I guess I did want to ask as sort of a fun question about Donnie Darko in particular. Do you guys think that Donnie had a choice? I think he does have a choice to a certain extent, but everybody around him has choices mm -hmm. too, which may influence or like nudge his choice in a certain direction. If that makes I mean, sense. it does. I mean, I certainly feel like by the time he has to make the choice, there are an overwhelming number of things pushing him towards the choice that he makes that, that like benefit Everybody. I mean, he stops the world from ending. Yeah, he does is, make a choice, right? The, is, he well, makes a choice in the movie. Is your question like, can he time? No, no, no. Really my, that's my, actually, my question, I guess, ultimately, is not necessarily does he have a choice, but does, in your opinion, does he make a choice? Because the way it's it's shown, it's arguable. I think. I, I feel like it's less necessarily a choice, but more. Um, circumstances and things lining up in an, in an inevitable mm -hmm. way that he then comes and to okay realize. And I guess, because he laughs. Yeah. Right, yeah. Right, right, right. Well, I feel like he has a choice because he, he makes one. Well, At but, the end, he changes things. I don't, know that it's, I don't know that it's apparent that him he do? does. Yeah. I, it, 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 you see him on the ridge, and then he's in his room. And so it's it's yeah. arguable whether that's he ever had a choice or he ever made oh, a choice. Yeah. But I would I mean I, I'm not saying I disagree oh. with you. I I think yes that he did and that he was okay with it. But I also think that for him to make the other choice would have said something very different about the character, which is let the world burn. I feel like more like I, I feel like more things lined up in the way they're supposed to be and he realized that he was okay with it. I don't think he necessarily had the choice to time travel. I think it just happened. He was like, oh, I see. I see the plan. I see how mm -hmm. everything lined up. And no, I'm like, cool. I disagree. I feel like the whole movie is about choice. The characters, all the characters constantly making choices and changing their own lives. And Frank doesn't say you will. He doesn't say you will burn it down. He tells him to right. burn it down. 
if that makes sense. He doesn't have a choice. He tells him to burn it down. If he didn't have well, a choice, he is, says he will burn it down. It's part of what he and uh, Dr. Professor Monatov are discussing is whether there is choice. Like how he's contradicting himself with the concept of time travel because at some point there would be an inherent choice. So I guess it's uh, like uh, it's arguable. It's open to interpretation. I mean, and I love it. And that's an out, certainly, that everybody can take. I think he does make a choice, and uh, I'm happy with it. Um, and ultimately, I think it's the choice that that character would make anyway, because he is, I would say, more on the love side than the fear side. Um, yeah. We've uh, we've written our love letters to Donnie Darko, and so I guess we are on to S. Darko uh, anyway. Whereas Donnie Darko had an 87% on Rotten Tomatoes, very well-reviewed uh, in general, from its premiere at Sundance. S. Darko capped out at a 13%, which... You know, to be honest, in terms of how well it was made, I think that's a little harsh. I'm not going to say I liked it, but I, there are certainly worse movies that I think have gotten better scores. I don't think it's a necessarily a bad movie. Like I said earlier, it's I like the story overall. I like the feather thing. I like the Tesseract thingies. I like there are parts of it I like. I liked the cast. I even kind of liked the, you know, the sort of interpretation of her in the dress as the new Frank or whatever. I would say I would agree that it, it at least seems cohesive and was a well-realized enough vision that I didn't particularly care for, especially considering where it came from. So 20th Century Fox owned the rights to Donnie Darko. Richard Kelly signed them over when he was 24 years old. Mm. So they won the right to release a sequel on home video. And uh, the director, being a huge Donnie Darko fan, wanted to put his name on the brand somewhere. Uh, and that director is Chris Fisher, who really has only ever done TV. He did a pretty a couple of low-budget horror movies early in his career, but he's pretty exclusive to TV. And the writer, Nate Atkins, almost exclusively a TV movie writer, who wrote, most famously, A Christmas Prince. Uh, the Netflix low-budget sensation from a few years ago. And he's written all of those. There's probably three of them already. Apparently, Richard Kelly hates that it exists. He would rather nobody ever ask him about it. He's never seen it. He's never read it. He never will. And and is apparently bitter towards the people who made it, saying, those people made a lot of money. They're still making a lot of money off of my work. That can't be right. I mean, maybe <laughs> I don't know. We didn't make any money. Uh, maybe I just don't know how movie money works. If people love Donnie Darko, they went to go see S. Darko. But, uh, when I look at almost any made-for-TV movie or one of these straight-to-video sequels, like the ones that we're looking at on this show, what I think is those that are less perhaps discerning than the likes of us. Uh, cinephiles are just people who decide they like a movie, don't really analyze why, and then go, well, I'll put in the next one. And then they maybe go, oh, yeah, it wasn't as good, but I liked it. I watched it. I own it. I'm well aware of the phenomenon of people just pointing at a movie and going, there's a word in there I recognize. I'll watch it. I'm I'm aware of that phenomenon. What I'm saying is the people who like Donnie Darko are us, and we won't watch that movie. The people who will watch that movie... They didn't watch Donnie Darko. I'll try to look into it, and I'll see. I'll let you know what I find out. You let Richard Kelly know. He's the one who needs to the, hear it. That man is hurting. A fun... Yeah. He has said... Uh, he said in an inter- interview in 2017 that he has an idea for another film that would be set in the world of Donnie Darko, 
describing the project as much bigger and more ambitious than the original, and he has not yet secured the financial resources to make the film. Well, maybe he should not make three unsuccessful movies and then plan a fourth 15 years later that's bigger and more ambitious. Well, he... If you made a cult classic, and then you did a follow-up movie that no one but me liked, <laughs> and then you did a follow-up that that no one but me saw, maybe your next project shouldn't be, okay, I figured out the problem. Give me even well, more money. But I could see also the logic being, you know what, let me, I'll circle back. I'm going to go back to the beginning, and I'm going to try again. I don't know. Yeah. Fun fact, my only real fun fact from S. Darko is that, uh, as you mentioned, the feather that she pulls out of the television, apparently this was put into the script and into the movie as a nod to the ring because that actress who plays S. Darko was the girl in the ring. Because in that movie, she's a ghost capable of coming out of a TV. They thought, oh, wouldn't it be fun if that actress could reach into a TV in this film? Well, that's a dumb reason to do that, but it ended up being uh, pretty cool. I really, I was saying to Lauren last night, though I don't really care for the movie, I really enjoyed the new mythology, the, the ways they extended the Darko mythology with the feather and the Tesseractine, etc. I liked that stuff. There just wasn't enough of that kind of thing to kind of get me through the parts I didn't like. Also, I, I'm going to call him Basil Rathbone again like a jerk. It's Hang something on. Rathbone. Andrew Rathbone? Who are you? Who, what character? Uh, uh, the, the nerd. The scratchy, oh, the, um, by the way, just, just to talk about that rash for a second, it was so hideous and disgusting that when she, I mean, I understand that she's emotionless, she's an ice queen, whatever, but when she sees it and she goes, oh, what's that? And he goes, it's just a rash. No chance would I let that go. It is bleeding <laughs> onto his shirt. It is oozing it's huge I, there is absolutely no way i would i would be able to change the subject i would be like that looks infected and horrible i'm gonna help you get to the house she's well, nothing she, to, that's later she doesn't do that until later when it's you know when it's like impossibly if it was me you know, I, if i had just met this guy and i saw he was openly bleeding from several giants monster wounds the first thing I would do is go to a second location with him at night in the middle of After nowhere. After he buys me a mountain. dress Same. and has creeped on me, you know, repeatedly. Yeah. He bought me a dress and then steps into my hotel room and closes the door behind him. I'd be like, let's really see where loudly. this Really yeah. loudly. He, like, slams well, the door. It's, it's, uh, it's Jackson Rathbone, by the way. I, again. Jackson and Rathbone. I, again, I... He did a great job. I thought everybody with what they were given, given did a great job. Um, what's his name? Westwick, uh, Ed Westwick from Gossip Girl as the James Dean type. He was great. I, I thought everybody was pretty damn great in this movie, despite their content uh, being less than. Okay, so disgusting wound aside. Okay, and the last thing I want to say about that is she's got nothing to do. She's she's essentially just decided to bum around this town, not paying uh, motel fees or having any kind of plan for the foreseeable future. So she can take him to the hospital. Do you not remember being in your twenties, Paul? I just know that in my twenties, I would I would have insisted that that guy accompany me to a doctor immediately. I mean, or at least I would be like, Oh God, I, I didn't even take myself to a doctor. I just in my wouldn't 20s. have been able to let that go. I would have gone in and like talked to his parents and be like, Have you seen this? Have you seen your kid's arm? I mean, like, he's doing a terrible job hiding wow. it. 
Sound like you were a pretty fucking nerdy twenty-year-old. I would do the same thing. But yeah, you're definitely a nerdy twenty-year-old. Um, I, I would have said, like, "Yo, let me let me rub let me rub myself on your rash. See what happens." That's so cool. Gross. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> oh man, I never realized how cool. Sorry. Okay, so some actors notes from S. Darko, Maggie Gyllenhaal, and Jake and Gyllen- Jake Gyllenhaal were both offered <laughs> a chance to cameo, and both. Uh, declined. Patrick Swayze Smart. was supposed to be in it, uh, reprising his role as Jim, Jim Cunningham, but his poor health kept him from doing so, and he died within a month of the film's uh, release. I always forget. I, it feels so much more recent that he died. Yeah. Well, this, yeah, yeah, it's 2009. The last thing I wanted to make sure to bring up before we move into pitches is one of my. F- what I thought was going to be my favorite things in Astarco was when they killed her. I mean, they kill her a couple times <laughs> and then undo it both times. But yeah, and I loved no, it. I mean, even though the coverage on it was poor when she died in the car crash and Corey became the protagonist for a minute there. I thought that was pretty cool. And to be honest, up yeah. to that point in the movie, I didn't have glaring problems with the story so i was a little bit like you know what this movie might be giving me something that i'm not expecting then Corey's storyline become that's when she grabs the book which she shouldn't have huge plot hole so that's that was essentially the beginning of the descent for me and then she just sort of undoes that and switches places with uh s darko again which i really disliked because that was the beginning of just, oh, let's take what was established in Donnie Darko and play with it however we want without any kind of consistency. It made it seem like time travel is just a thing that's easy to just do. They don't even really establish how it's achieved in S. Darko. Yeah, and it also made, like, her visions were of the little boy who eventually dies in the cave. Her visions were the little boy telling, telling her what to do, but that's not what Frank does to Donnie. Frank does, Frank does tell Donnie to do things, but he doesn't say, he doesn't explain to him, here's the effect it'll have, here's where you need to go, here's what you need to do. Like, that that just made it less of, like, almost like an inevitable path that Donnie was on versus uh, in S. Darko, where it's just sort of like, oh, well, Ghost, can, Ghost will tell us what to do, and then we can time travel, no problem. Well, Frank does tell him to to burn down Swayze's house. He shows him the house. Well, yes, I'm, it down. yes, but I would say it is potentially arguable in Donnie Darko that Donnie is sick and Donnie is doing these things himself. I mean, I agree that probably that's not the case, mm. but at the same time, Frank is also not clarifying, oh, your friend died? Well, here's what you can do to bring him back. You can time travel and here's how. And that's, that's the, the trick with kind of sequel stuff in general is how much do you want to see what you've already seen and not have stuff like messed with and how much do you want things expanded on and carried further how much are we going to play with the fiction versus how much are we going to leave alone so you can you know enjoy the house i mean i just think consistency should that should be the first topic of discussion when you're when you're trying to sequelize something, you should have that discussion of like, what are the rules and what do we not want to, especially if you're taking someone else's vision and, and tacking something on, I feel like if, if anything, then you would want to tread even more lightly with the rules. But I guess maybe not if you're uh, the mind behind the Christmas Prince. 
<laughs> I much prefer the, the Donnie way. The Donnie way. Are we going to do real quick? Are we going to do Unsung Heroes we are, for Donnie that, Darko? That comes after the pitches. That's, uh, that's that after. Format. Okay, yeah. just wanted to make sure. Uh, Did you hear that? Did you hear him say that's the format? Did you hear that little dig at me? Um, well, you know, you <laughs> I, know I know you're... You're not much of a in the way of a listener of the program, so that's I'm that's not because I don't like mm-hmm. the show. Because I hate <laughs> my voice. You know, I would say that you have the best voice of us three. And if we were ever to have Hold listeners, I would love for them to write in and, and let us know <laughs> what they think. Godly Good deep voice. God, do not uh, this is and Smooth this goes and for you too well. No one should yeah. ever tell me what mm. they think of me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's no good answer. I'm not going to win. A compliment will sting, and the truth will... Uh, do you see how I just called the truth the opposite of a compliment? <laughs> okay, well, I guess... I mean, I don't know. Anything anybody else, anyone else wants to say about S. Durku? Jackson Rathbone was... God, they just tried too hard to make him look like a nerd and then give him like his glasses came off as he was starting to nutty professor himself into a cool murderer mm. or whatever. Anyway, I don't like the movie, but that's not the movie's fault. Um, I'd go as far as to say the movie mm. ruined my day. I mean, <laughs> uh, the one part like I didn't like it, but I was just really amused by how pretentious it was whenever she opens the drawer in the hotel and there's the Bible there mm. in the drawer, and she puts the science book on top of the Bible. Ooh, yeah. symbolic. <laughs> I just, at that point, I was still so mad because she shouldn't have the book. I was still just like, I cannot wait to scream about this. She could get her hands on another copy, but it has Donnie's well, picture. I also in it, so. took that book, like the way Noah Wiley hands it over to him in, in Donnie Darko. I took that book as being like, the only reason I have this is because of, because I knew her. You know what I mean? Like, I took it as like, there aren't a bunch of copies of it. This is what that woman did before she went mad. I guess I just got the assumption that it wasn't like a readily available book that anybody kind of. Oh, okay. So yeah. jumping back to Donnie Darko and what I wanted to say about Drew Barrymore, super glad that she produced the film and made it happen. Her character was the one thing that did not work for me in the movie. I don't dislike Drew Barrymore, but her character, I don't think, offered much in the way of the plot. And really, I just found her to be, I don't know, she was almost like written immaturely, like a, like a young boy's fantasy type of character. She was very, very acty. Yeah. I'll argue for her importance, though, because as far as like the whole theory of the tangential universe being manipulated by those in the primary universe, Um, she gets uh, Donnie and Gretchen together, which is crucial. So she just... That scene was where her character stopped working for me, though, just because it was like, sit next to whichever boy you think is the cutest. And then she, like, watches it voyeuristically, where it's like... What I, what I feel like you're supposed to read from her is, oh, she's a cool teacher. She's cool, and she actually inspires the kids. Whereas that, to me, seems so needlessly inappropriate that I was a little bit like, oh, this lady's weird. I, get, I, I, I totally get what, you, get what you, you mean with her, and I see it. It doesn't yeah. bother me, though. But I do see like how she's kind of like... Yeah. yeah, and I think that that's maybe... I think Drew's strengths perhaps don't lie with that type of character. 
I think she's an actress I like to see have fun a little bit more than I like to see her wax philosophical. Yeah, it's a pretty straight character. I love Drew uh, Barrymore so much. <laughs> uh, I think she's wonderful. I think her acting choices in this movie are choices I don't maybe understand oh, or always nice. agree with, uh, but I certainly can't argue against. Um, she stands out because everybody's so damn good. You know what I mean? In a in a lesser film, perhaps it wouldn't have stood out to me. I think Drew is being weird because it's one of the first movies she and her friend produced. So I think she sort of picked the part she wanted and went a little mm. much with it. What holds her down is that she's in a relationship with Noah Wiley's character and he's cool. So I assume yeah. she's cool. And I do one moment in the movie that I thought was wonderful that didn't necessarily even add anything. It, it was something that I could see a screenwriting teacher say, cut. But it's just her and Professor Monotov saying to each other, Donnie Darko, I know. You know what I mean? And then they kind of like share a laugh. And it's like that doesn't add anything in particular to the overarching plot, but it does establish something about their relationship and about their separate relationships with Donnie. Which is like, you, it's something that you probably already know because you've seen them interact with him, but it does, it does, it's just a cool moment because you do like Donnie and you do see him as exceptional. So to watch these two teachers just sort of have a discussion behind the scenes of like this kid, right? Is like, uh, it added so much to me. All right. Okay. So then let's, uh, roll right in towards the pitches with the first question. Should this movie, Donnie Darko, have a sequel? Yeah. That's no. a no. That's a big old no. Okay, our job yeah. is bad. <laughs> Crazy that the director doesn't agree. Um, I think that when we do movies that maybe shouldn't have or there's not a lot of great jumping off points for sequels, we usually come up with stuff that's a little more interesting than. You know, a movie that has an obvious yeah, sequel that's baked in. You know, I think guys, I think our Grease pitches well, think, were really interesting. I think I, mean, I think did The really Shining good. also yielded some interesting results from a movie that probably we all agreed. The final results yeah. were interesting. <laughs> you seem really mad. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, so then moving on to the next question. Sequel or prequel? If you're going to do it, how you do it? Mine's a prequel. I would say prequel because I feel like a, the only way to do a sequel is to carry forward the time, the the plot of Donnie Darko, which will I think just intrinsically undo what mm. the movie's mm-hmm. trying to do. Okay, I would say prequel or tangential. Oh, neat! I like that better. Side oh, side, that's already got a term. <laughs> I was so proud of parallelical. Parallelical. Um, um, I will say that I have very little here, but my prequel. You want to go with me? <laughs> well, this isn't my pitch pitch. This is my, if you're going to do a prequel, here you go. Which yeah. is called Our okay. Sparrow. It tells uh, the story of uh, Grandma Death uh, up to and including how she gets caught in her mailbox cycle. It shows her school days. <laughs> To her teaching days, including having a young version of Professor Monotov as a student, and then into her absorption into the time travel science and the writing of her book, as well as interactions with and the influence on 
Jim Cunningham, the Patrick Swayze character. So there's a lot to fill in there with that character. And I would imagine it would all be interesting and sort of have a similar build to it because she has an inevitable fate that we all know that she slips into. But I do think that there are a lot of unanswered questions there that could be a fun, uh, an interesting watch without feeling like you're treading old ground either, because it's, I feel like not many questions at all are answered about how she got there. Yeah. Right. Uh, my, yeah, my pitch, I don't have, I don't have a ton here, uh, as usual, but I tried to fill in what I do have with enough detail that you feel <laughs> like you got a good meal. Take this. Thank you. This is going to be a prequel that's closer in tone to Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth mm. dimension, uh, which is a movie I really do yeah, not okay. enjoy very much. Interesting. <laughs> Uh, I want to. I tried to. I've tried several times. I understand that I'm kind of supposed to like that sort of movie. I just do not. It's charmless for me. Sorry. Sorry, Buckaroo Banzai. Um, it's called Roberta Sparrow and the Dream Machine. Uh, it's going to be, I guess we'll, we'll make this movie 2020 or whatever. So we've got Natasha Leone as a young Roberta Sparrow in the 60s. Um, just, <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so she's She's tripping the light fandango and writing a journal on the philosophy of dreams. She spends her time at the Beatnik Slam poetry bar run by Michaela Cole called The Cellar Door. At night, she yeah. wanders the city. Yeah, I know. I know. At night, she wanders the city searching for truth and seeking out liminal spaces, trying to find the truth by sheer force of will. Um, during the day... Uh, she dreams about uh, a mysterious Frank-esque figure, Lily Tomlin, um, trying to lead her to Middlesex, Virginia. Um, Lily Tomlin will be playing uh, her future self. She's also playing Roberta Sparrow, kind of like a The Shining Tony deal, where she's she's unaware that Lily Tomlin is playing herself, you know. Um, so, uh, so Lily Tomlin shows up as future kind of Grandma Death. Um, and tries to lead her to Middlesex much in the same way that Frank is kind of leading Donnie on his path. Um, so she road trips out in her station wagon, uh, eventually meeting up with a bullshit artist played by Divine Joy Randolph from Hulu's recently canceled oh, Hydelity. Damn. Uh, a team of. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, bud. Yeah. yeah. We're all very upset about it. Um, she also meets up with a team of scientists celebrating at a diner called Mongrels. Um, the, the scientists are played by John Cho, and I, I'm going to try and get this name right. Shora, Shora? Ag, Agdashalu? Shora Agdashalu? She's the woman from The Expanse uh, with, the, with the wonderful gravelly voice. She's an Indian woman with like... I'll look her up. Okay, yeah. it doesn't matter. Look yeah. her up. She's marvelous. I just want to, I just need her voice to be saying literally anything in this movie. She's great. Um, and some very eye-opening sex workers at a club called Sparkle Motion, played by Maz Mickelson, Chris Pine, and Lee Pace. Um, as she gets, as she gets closer to Middlesex, her journal eventually stops becoming about the philosophy of dreams and becomes about the philosophy of time travel. Um, and her journey to Middlesex ends with her uh, the, on that same whatever Mulholland shelf or whatever Donnie's at, overlooking the town, um, seeing the the whatever the funnel, the time portal. tubes, um, essentially portal, essentially setting her up to become, you know, Grandma Death, the the teacher at the school, all that stuff. I have the time. I have to. I don't know how the timeline matches up, but I'll fudge the numbers if I have to, because it's meant to be more of a 
you know that feeling when you're driving through the desert where even though you know you're just in Nevada, it kind of feels like you're about to drive yeah. off the edge of the world? Somehow, yeah. It, it yeah. would sort of be like that. I mean, the whole time there would be, we would be getting sort of like, rather than like the countdown days, like 10 days mm-hmm. left, you know, six days left, we would get, I guess, kind of like Southland Tales, chapters from her journal. The philosophy of dreams would begin each segment sequence or whatever. Um, maybe with some wonderful Natasha Leone narration voiceover. I know it's a mm. sin, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's Roberta, Roberta Sparrow in cool. the dream machine. So cool. it sounds like to me that Roberta herself is almost sort of, uh, a slave to the hands of destiny. Like it's not like an, her own interests or wants or desires are what are leading her to her path. It sounds like her path, is being presented to her and she's being placed upon it. I'm not saying this as a criticism. I'm just sort of, you're right. It would think about it more as Roberta Sparrow is just trying to find the strings that hold the universe together. And she's destined, if you want to call it that destined to do that and discover Mm -hmm. it and end up in Middlesex. So that Donnie Darko, the next generation, he will be the one who not only can see and understand the strings, but can even pluck them a little bit the change of the universe. And that is in my mind, what Roberta Sparrow is waiting for at the mailbox. She's waiting for someone to give the book to someone to pass the torch to. She has this knowledge. Mm. No one will take it from her um, until Don Darko with his kind soul, his kind heart Sick. takes it. Mm. Dramatically. I like that very, very much. All right. So moving right along into Lauren's pitch. Okay. So I don't have a whole lot, um, but basically, Every time I watch the movie, I always feel like there's been, it starts and, you know, Donnie's on the road. And I always feel like that is the begin, beginning of a second oh, interesting. time loop. Um, but that's basically what my, I, it, it is a sequel, but it's also sort of a uh, parallelical. Yes! Um, because my thing would be, it would be the October 2nd mm. where things went wrong. So it would be a similar set of events that happens in Donnie mm. Darko, but things don't line up well. You know, the October 2nd would happen. We see the characters. Maybe Donnie doesn't meet Gretchen. But I think the thing that would actually have to happen would be that Mama Darko would die. So because she would die, she wouldn't be able to chaperone Sparkle Motion's trip to Los Angeles and therefore would not be mm. on the red eye home. In, in order for that uh, engine to fall. So you're saying her being in the first place inherently um, so affects whether the plane rips apart? Got that it. is the theory I'm going with. Because if, she, if she's not on that plane, theoretically, nothing would fall down the portal. What? Yeah, but Wouldn't you that, never know. She's not you never flying. Know. I know, I know, uh, I know. I know. I know. I, 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 wait and that kind of thing. I'm, I'm taking some real yeah, or travel. Okay, continue. Yeah, and yeah. also, <laughs> also in this one, um, the reason it doesn't go well, and that's that's why we come to the point where Donnie Darko has to do it a second time. You know, in the actual movie, he has to go through that set of events from October second to the thirty first. Um, in mine, Frank right. the Bunny is not there to guide him, and that's why one of the reasons why it goes wrong. 
Um, because he doesn't shoot him, he doesn't follow the events that lead him to that point to shoot him in the first place to make him a manipulated mm-hmm. dead that guides him in Donnie Darko. Are we, perhaps it's unexplained, but from your perspective, are we starting this movie earlier than the events of Donnie Darko, but with a Donnie who has been through the events of Donnie Darko? No, my movie would be, so In my movie assumes that Donnie Darko comes at the end of the events of my movie and therefore Donnie Darko exists to fix the events of my movie. Cause my movie would show so the events that went wrong, like the primary universe, the events that so went wrong. So who are we following? It would still be Donnie. It would like, uh, it's, it's, it's I apologize. Not, I mean, it's, it's not tough. A, it's a very bare bones idea. Yeah. It would essentially be a similar movie but it would play out differently because certain things wouldn't happen. And also the characters aren't being manipulated to make things right yet. So they're playing out in a separate way. He wouldn't flood the school. He wouldn't flood the school because all the things that he did that he would wind up on the golf course, he wouldn't be told the world's ending because Frank's not there to oh, guide him God. because he hasn't killed him yet. Yeah, I guess, does that make sense? I guess I'm like working on like, all is, Does Donnie movies. recognize that something's wrong on some level? No, because this sure, is sure. all happening for the first time, if you will. And this is the idea I had, because I always did feel like Donnie Darko started yeah. um, on the tail already, end of the uh, Yeah, of a, I get a loop. it. It starts on a note that's already open to interpretation. Did he die, essentially, is like a question right away. Or what ha- What happened is the question, but it's, like, it's also like he's on the side of, he's on the middle of the road on a fallen bicycle. Yeah, like essentially my, my movie would... End with him like it would it would show him either going for a bike ride or like he'd be on a bike ride and then he'd crash and then it would cut to black and then it would pick back mm-hmm. up mm-hmm. in Donnie Darko. I like that Donnie Darko opens with him waking up on the on the road and he kind of smiles mm-hmm. like he accomplished something. So what I like about yeah. your pitch is it takes that moment at the beginning. And it sets it up yeah. very like, oh, this time it's going to work. Yeah, like in a way, he he like he knows so, that time you know, has reset. You are going over the events uh, of the first one. I definitely would consider this a prequel, right? Um, but like his his mother dying, that would um, you know, that has its own set of events oh, that would of course affect and play out throughout the movie. Like they're dealing with that. like a car crash or something. She, she falls up into a plane engine, <laughs> and the title. Re Donnie Darko and R E D O is in brackets. Oh, very, very, Ah, very cool. I think that you win because what happened with your pitch was what happened to all of us individually with Donnie Darko, which is that we got to analyze, we got to theorize, we got to have fun and make connections. I feel like yours is is more in line with the sort of open nature of what the first movie is. Uh, Because I went sequel. There are other things that need to be taken into account here. Starting with Timeline B, 1989. Donnie awakens in a reality where Gretchen, his mother, and Samantha have died. And he is placed in an asylum after he's murdered Frank. So, you know, he can't go to jail. He doesn't quite, he's deemed unwell, so they don't send him to juvenile hall. He's in like a uh, center. He's violently angered by the reality he lives in, knowing that the world is ended and should not exist because he made his choice already, but he's stuck here. Mm. At various points, he's visited 
by his father, Eddie, his sister, Elizabeth, uh, his therapist, Dr. Thurman, and as sort of a last resort trying to get through to him, Professor Monotov, all of whom wish to help him work through these bizarre issues. So that's timeline B that is happening alongside timeline A, which is probably most of the movie. And timeline A takes place in 1995. Frank Anderson is our mm-hmm. lead. Uh, he's a successful gallery artist who was made famous in his youth by the creation of the character Death Rabbit, a project that he makes clear he has moved well beyond as an artist. You know, he doesn't, I don't want to be associated with Death Rabbit anymore, but I'm thankful, blah, 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 blah. Uh, he's wealthy and independent, but hopelessly and tirelessly disturbed. At a gallery opening, he sees a woman, played by Rachel Lee Cook, who intrigues him and flirts with him a little bit, but ultimately seems disinterested. Later, she comes to his home and asks to be... It's just, I'm just uncomfortable saying this. I'm not the type of person who says this. Later, she comes to his home and asks to be fucked by Death Rabbit. Though he is hesitant to do so, he dons the mask again. And while wearing it during the act of making love, he sees a hole in the back of her head sort of start to form, uh, and it freaks him out. That night, he has his first vision of Donnie, who wears a hoodie that masks his face in shadow and a skeleton t-shirt, so a disembodied head. Donnie asks that Frank put his mask on, which he unexpectedly in the dream finds himself already holding, but he refuses. Donnie tells him that together they must end the world. Later, back in reality, Frank meets a girl named Madison, played by Anna Paquin, whom he really seems to like. Later, separately, he finds out that the woman from the gallery, the Rachel Lee Cook part, has died by way of self-inflicted gunshot to the head. So it's as if he saw it. Yes. Mm. As his life goes on, Death Rabbit starts to become more and more prevalent. Uh, Every person in his life is sort of asking after it or demanding it in some way, shape, or form over the stuff that he wants to work on himself. It even gets to the point that Madison, the Anna Paquin character, asks him to put on the mask for her. He refuses, fearing what might happen to her, knowing what happened to the last girl. Uh, The next time he sees him in a dream, Frank asks Donnie to show him his face. Donnie refuses unless Frank puts on the mask. He does in the dream, and Donnie shows his face. Frank asks if he knows Donnie. Donnie doesn't answer. End of dream. When he wakes up, he remembers, to some extent, who Donnie is, and writes down Lizzie Darko's brother. Like on a notepad next to his bed. As he goes about his day, no one in his life is willing to accept anything from him that isn't Death Rabbit. It pushes to the point that Madison shows up at his house that night, and threatens him at gunpoint to put the mask on and make love to her. Uh, he catches her off guard, is able to overpower her, and sort of runs away from the situation. He flees his life and goes about the task of finding Elizabeth Darko, Maggie Joan Hall. When he finds her, she tells him of her <laughs> brother's death at the turbine engine uh, all those years ago, and how her mother could never get over it. And it changed her mother forever. Her mother sort of snapped, killed Samantha, and also killed Gretchen. Like, sought them out 
as people that shouldn't exist without fully understanding it killed them. So Frank goes to meet Rose, Mary McDowell, at the same facility where Donnie is being kept in his timeline. So she is in an asylum, but a different... In the same asylum that Donnie's in? She calls Frank in their discussion the one who killed her son, even though it doesn't seem like she fully understands what that means. But their conversation is mostly just a stage for Mary McDonald to perform on. It's only one scene. She's going to kill it. And at the end of it, she touches him on the chest, which causes a chest sphere to form. And he's never heard of this. He doesn't know what it is, but it starts building a path and he follows it. She can't see it. And that's the end of their scene. So he follows it and it seems to be guiding him to sort of the exit until it suddenly branches off and starts a second path that goes upward toward the ceiling and then seems to disappear. It's not until he puts the death rabbit mask on, which he again finds himself unexpectedly holding, but is it reality this time? We don't know. He puts it on and he's able to see that the chest fear leads to a portal in the sky. He sort of sees himself go through it, much like Donnie sees himself go through the portal when he's doing all the cellar door stuff at the end of Donnie Darko. And that's where he meets Donnie, who is in his timeline, still in the asylum. He meets Donnie there, and the two men embrace, and they seem happier than they've ever been. And then the world ends around them. Then Frank sort of wakes up with a start, finding himself back at the diverging chess spheres crossroads, and he looks unsure of what path to take. Mm. But the last place he looks is up, and then we cut to black. The end. And I call this film mm. Frankie and Doug. Yeah, I don't hate that. I think that's charming. I really like the idea that people in, in you know, the universe that's not meant to be, if that's how we're going to look at it. Um, I mean, maybe it's just, maybe it's just Rose, but I like the idea that people are kind of looking around like, nah, none of this is supposed to be here. And they're just kind of like itchy, itching to mm-hmm. just kill themselves, to kill each other, to kill the mm-hmm. universe, the world, whatever. That's interesting. I was going to ask how how you bridge the events of the end of Donnie Darko with the timelines in your story. Well, I, I think it seems like Donnie's timeline is a timeline in which the turbine doesn't fall on him, but the events of the first one happen. So it's as if he wakes up outside of his own control into a reality that he purposefully tried to prevent and is stuck there until six years later, Frank is able to sort of hold up his end and they are literally able to end the world together, which was always the the point, I guess. However, you know, it's open to interpretation, blah, blah, blah. But my thinking behind the diverging chess spheres and the fact that Frank is able to make the choice at the end is that one would assume that Frank would choose the exit because the whole movie he's been fighting against this sort of everyone wanting him to be the death rabbit. However, upon ending the world with Donnie and seeing that, I I sort of, I mean, it's like, it's kind of like trying to have the cheat of the Inception ending, where it's technically open to interpretation, but the top does start to fall a little. So, you know, there's your answer. So having him look up is sort of him choosing. And I'm I'm trying to, I've, I've built up all these big ideas, but my smaller idea that I really like it coming from is sort of this 
what would someone choose being themselves and perhaps having a life that is not spectacular in which you don't know how much of a purpose you serve versus following the path that is your predestiny, the, the thing that everybody wants from you, the thing that you are supposed to do, what feels better. I guess uh, hmm. to me, the sadder slash creepier slash cooler idea is ultimately that despite everything he's thought he's wanted the whole time, he wants to end the world with Donnie because that's what he's always supposed to have done. Again, I don't think we should have a sequel. That's cool. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> because I like that yeah. <laughs> like the end of the world that is specified in Donnie Darko is not the end of the world. It is the, I mean, it is, but he's able to prevent Yes, it is. Yes. And ultimately, by his choice, he's able to prevent the end of the bigger, the larger world by ending his own world. Whereas in this, I guess, in order to continue that story at all, I feel like, okay, I guess maybe there needs to be a bigger picture. Perhaps the end of the world is still on the table. You need ideas. But I feel like we're going to need a tiebreaker. Mm. I personally am going to be voting for yeah. all three. I can well, tell you. I think that's the problem. Yeah. I am happy that we did this because I, and I feel like any fan of the first one uh, would be as well, because I think that these are all fun mind mazes to send them down. But how to pick a winner? Right. You know, I would vote for all three, but I'm still voting for Lawrence. It was essentially giving us the fun of a back to the future part two by saying you're back you're with these mm -hmm. you're in this familiar atmosphere, and yet it doesn't yeah. make sense. Right, right, right. I also really like the title. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> Donnie Darko. That was kind of a, a grab at the last second. That works. That's going to put you over the top. That's what I'm saying. disrespect me, <laughs> Travis, to yours. Yours made me happy in a similar way. It's just sort of like, I guess I'd just rather spend the movie with Donnie if I could. Oh, uh, yeah. No, that's what my movie sure. was pretty far removed from... From the first one, no, even like well, in flavor and and everything. Yeah. So no, I think the, I think you had like the right flavor. I think we all did, to be honest. And I and I, I want us all to pat ourselves on the back and feel good about what we did because yeah. it's an impossible task. Yeah, yeah. And yet I did it. We all did. But I mean, like really, really well. I did it. <laughs> such like a, nailed it. Such a, you can tell how good my ideas are because well, they and rarely I am win. Going, we have a winner, Lauren Picorni's Re Don Darko. Excellent work. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, let's do uh, some heroes. Hit it, Paul Jr. Unsung heroes! I want to go first. No, I'm going to go first. Okay, uh, go ahead, Lauren. And for okay. listeners who don't know what this is, Unsung um, Heroes, we talk about lesser known or lesser regarded actors or characters in the movie who added a whole lot uh, from extras to just small parts that don't normally get given the time of day. Um, and Johnny Darko, I really like the small fellow who is helping Sharita with her Autumn Angel act, and he's just like putting crispy fall leaves into the fan. Um, I just, I, I always really like yes, how he, he looks. He like has another featured moment in the movie, correct? The I, I remember him being, yeah, that's he's right. The one who, oh, he's like, how he, do I deal with bullies? You mean at the uh, conference with Jim Cunningham? Yeah. So he is also in Jim yeah, Cunningham's school, video yeah. at the very beginning. And I believe Jim Cunningham pats him on the butt. He sure does, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Is that why he wants to know how to fight? But he asks Jim oh, himself. Shit. Yeah, that kid's oh, great. Well, I, like, I like him and his fall leaves. Uh, I would... Uh, the guy riding with Frank, 
at the end of yeah, the movie from, the clown uh, Dollhouse is Fran and, Cran. Uh, it is Kevin Fran Cran. Cran. Right? I like, immediately oh, recognize him. The guy dressed as the clown. Yeah. I don't know if I oh, have one. Um, oh, sorry. We didn't um, do Paul's. What a piece of shit I am. Is <laughs> Leroy the plumber, uh, the guy who, after Donnie has chopped the pipe and flooded the school, I think he has one or two lines, but they are very boisterous, memorable lines. They're like, he's just uh, overworked from the start. Yeah, he really, he only has a moment there, but it really adds something. And like, it just brought me joy to watch this guy. I also put down the kid at the very end, the Darko's neighbor, who explains to Gretchen what happened. Not only does he, like, because the ending moment is really cool and cerebral and sci-fi, because you're reading into the fact that uh, the two women who should have been dead are recognizing something in each other and waving at each other. And then he adds on to it and makes it comedic when it doesn't need to be, but it's wonderful because he starts waving. And then that's literally the end. It's like that that added layer of fun is really special. And apart from that, I just think he gives a great performance when he's recounting what happened. It's like very natural. It feels very much like what, what a kid would, would be like. He was uh, Starkle, never I can find for me too. no one. No unsung heroes. The only, no heroes. <laughs> the only thing to, it's, a, it's a staging thing. Um, so we're definitely scraping the bottom of the barrel here. But when S. Darko is violently hit by a car, she is then revealed to be laying just like perfectly flat with mm-hmm. her arms down by her sides and just a little bit of blood on her. And it just doesn't translate to me that she got like fucking wrecked by a Buick. It looks like that actress mm-hmm. was told to just sort of lay down right there. And she's like, just, just lay down flat like this. And they're like, yeah, whatever, go for it. And then we yeah. had to pretend yeah, so like much she had about been killed that by a car. Didn't work. Yeah. Much like the rest of the movie. I kept having the thought that if she hadn't grown up so pretty, that's she would an not interesting have been cast in the movie. thought to be, because to be honest, based on the nature of how this movie was made, I think, any actor from the original movie who would say yes would have been cast in the movie. Mostly, I think you're right, and that's an unfortunate thing about the way movies are made, but I think in this case, she probably still would have, just for the sake of, it's official, it's official, guys. And I'm going to move into plugs, and I'm going to guess that you guys have them, and that uh, we've, uh, that, that uh, we're familiar with them. Huh? Huh? Yeah, got the, got the usual. Uh, I have an Etsy shop. Pop that Funko, make custom Funkos. If you want a Funko that doesn't exist, I can I can help you out. Uh, my plugs, as always, just Theater of Tomorrow and The Hotel, our science fiction and horror podcast, which will be returning. One of them Started should have returned by, by yeah. now. <laughs> theater of Tomorrow, theater with an R-E, okay. or The Hotel. Well, available I have wherever uh, questions and sold. comments uh, related to that, and I will leave the nature of such things to our listeners a mystery, as I say... Goodbye. On the next follow-up showdown, our guest today, Sachin Medhaker, and the movie he has chosen, Highlander 2, The Quickening. Well, I want to point out that the second movie was able to up one on the, on the, <laughs> how quickly we're going to jump into a sex yeah. scene. It's like, whoa, whoa, we're not here. <laughs> you right. just met and ago. murdered people. Well,